turn in our Bibles this afternoon to the book of Psalms, Psalm 45. And as you get situated in Psalm 45, I just want to mention how much Nancy and I have enjoyed our visit with you. And I thank you for the privilege you've given to me to share in this conference. It's been a great delight just to be here with Brother Brian and Sister Marlene. And I always enjoy Brian's ministry, and it seems like we never have enough time together. It always seems short when it's over, and uh, we have certainly enjoyed, I have enjoyed very much enjoy having Brian's ministry to bless our hearts and also to follow in ministry after our brother. So here we are in Psalm 45, the royal wedding psalm, those who have gone through the whole period of the conference, you remember that we started with the blessed man of Psalm 1, and then yesterday I spent time looking in Psalm 45 verses 1 through 8 at our heavenly bridegroom. I'm going to read those verses, 1 through 8, and then we'll start as I continue on in our reading, verses 9 through 17, we're going to be looking at the bride, that's you and me of all people. And here we are in Psalm 45. Please follow as I read in the New King James translation. It says in Psalm 45, verse 1, My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Verse 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. Now, verse 9. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord, worship him. And the daughter of Tyre will be there with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. Verse 13. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions who follow her, shall be brought to you with gladness and rejoicing. They shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. Verse 16 and 17 to conclude our reading says, Instead of your father shall be your sons, whom you shall make princes in all the earth. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, 
the people shall praise you forever and ever. And we trust that the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of this beautiful psalm, Psalm 45, the royal wedding psalm. Now we have been looking at the bridegroom. Now we are going to turn our attention at the end of this psalm, the last half, and look at the bride. But you might remember, just for a little reminder, we have considered the inscription of Psalm 45, the preparation of presenting this psalm from the psalmist perspective, and then the description of the beloved bridegroom. But now we actually go to the royal wedding. And at the royal wedding, you know, there are various parts or components of the ceremony, but it helps us just to know what the background is, especially for the Jewish wedding. And as in the days of the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, we understand there were three basic parts for the Jewish wedding. Now, the very first part is the betrothal. That's where payment is made to purchase a bride. That kind of strikes us a little funny, but in most parts or many parts of the world, the bridal price is still a practice. In fact, many times the prospective bridegroom and prospective bride are selected by their parents, and sometimes they've not even ever seen each other, or else maybe they've never known each other, and yet that's all been decided and they are chosen, sometimes while they're still quite young. Think of this in respect of our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Peter writes, whom having not seen, you love. And though you do not see him, yet you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And that's the perspective we have of what is awaiting us in, with our heavenly bridegroom when we see him. Now, in Africa, when we worked in Zaire, which is now the Congo, we learned a little bit better on this whole matter of betrothal or the bridal payment. Because there, for a young man to have a bride, he'd have to pay for her. And it might be if it was kind of a normal village girl, maybe, maybe a couple of chickens and maybe a kilo of sugar would do it. And if she was an educated girl, well, it might cost him a goat. And if she was really very talented and skillful, we're talking cattle at that point. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of setup that they have there and other places. And, and I'm sure the same situation here. You remember Abraham's servant going to get the bride for Isaac. One day our Bible school class asked me, how much did you have to pay for Madame Rex? That's Nancy. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, we have a little different system in America. I said, here you have to pay for your bride before you get her. And I said, over there we get the bride first and then we pay. And uh, yeah, well, <laughs> they wanted to know how much. <laughs> Do you know, it really is more of a biblical reference, isn't it? To see the purchase of the bride. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did. He came and he sought a bride, a people for his own name. That's the bride of Christ. We're not afraid to take his name. Though we've not seen him, we are confident knowing that the price that he has paid to purchase the bride, the very blood of Christ, has bought us for himself, even as we heard early this morning. 
After the betrothal or the payment that is made, the ceremony is the next part of the wedding, and that has to do with the consummation. So the young man, after the bridal price is paid, he returns to his father's house, prepares an adjoining room or addition to the father's house, and then when everything's ready, the father inspects and sends his son back to get his bride. Now, you do have that reference already in your mind, don't you? The Lord Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where? In the Father's house, there are many mansions. So the ceremony takes place next. When everything is all ready and the bridegroom comes, though the bride does not know when he's going to come, she is always ready, waiting, and watching. The third part of the Jewish wedding and a biblical basis is the marriage supper or the marriage feast that follows. From what we understand in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, this doesn't just last for an hour, but it might be a succession of days, maybe even up to a week, where all the family and all the friends gather for a feast and celebration. It's very much like the wedding feast that the Lord Jesus well, he, he adorned it with his very first public miracle of changing the water to wine, reminding our hearts that only the Lord can supply the joy to a marriage and to our personal individual lives. And that's still ahead for us as the church. We're looking forward to the marriage supper. So we have those basic three parts, and now we go to the actual royal wedding. The first thing in the wedding that we see in verse 9 of Psalm 45 has to do with the attendance at the wedding. Now, this is where you see the bridal party coming together. And every bride who has planned her wedding with the help of her mom usually, they always make careful decisions and choices on who's going to be part of the bridal party and, of course, of the whole wedding party. The attendance here in verse 9... Well, they're very special. What an entourage for the bridal party because we see that it's made up in verse 9 of king's daughters. Those are princesses. And of course, even in our wedding celebrations, they're all dressed like princesses, aren't they? And so the princesses are going to be among your honorable women because this is the marriage to the king. And so we see that the Lord brings princesses out to adjoin and to also accompany the bride-to-be. The bridal preparation is also in verse 9. Now, you're thinking already back to your own wedding, I bet, aren't you? Especially you ladies. Uh, whenever we're at the rehearsal and we're making the plans for the wedding day, I always ask after the rehearsal, what time will you be here for the wedding tomorrow? I want to make sure that everybody's there early. And the, the young man usually says, about 30 minutes ahead. But the bride, she says, I'll be here four hours ahead. For what? <laughs> well, just to get ready. And uh, they'll bring a full-length mirror and all the things that they need. And the bride is prepared beautifully here in verse 9. It says, at your right hand. Now, that's the place and position of honor. Do you know that we as the church have already been raised up 
and seated with Christ, who is at the right hand of the throne of God, and there we are at his right hand. You see her position, and you also see her purity that's mentioned, because there she stands at his right hand, the queen, in gold. The purity of her life in the gold of Ophir, the purest gold as well. Thirdly, in verse 10, we see something else about the bride and her preparation. It has to do with her past. This is precious to all of us who know the Lord. In verse 10, he says, Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Now, just those expressions joined together in verse 10. Listen, consider, incline your ear. It reminds us and helps us to be prepared because what he is about to say is very, very important. You don't want to miss this. Because when he speaks following this exhortation to listen carefully, here's what he says. Forget your own people also and your father's house. You know, that's the great thing about the church, isn't it? The bride. It's not where we've come from, but it's where we're going. It's not our past because that's gone forever. May I remind you that those of us who are born again are born again, not of the will of the flesh, nor of blood, nor of man, but we're born again by the will of God. It's not our background that matters, it's the future. And coming to Christ, we find out our great creator who became our redeemer still makes a new creation out of every one of us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are what? That, that wasn't just an opening just for a suggestion, huh? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become Don't forget that. Listen, consider, incline your ear. Because this is so important. If anything can drag a believer down from being a beautiful bride, it'll be her past. We as the church, the past, well, it's behind us, isn't it? We'll never go back. Your sins and your trespasses, the Lord says, I will remember no more. I remember somebody telling me, he said, anytime Satan tries to trip you up by reminding you of your past... You just remind him of his future, <laughs> and it'll be over. Huh? Don't be thinking in the past, he says. And so the bride, in her preparation, she has a position at his right hand, the purity in gold of Ophir, and her past, all forgotten. Now we see in verse 11, something of her beauty, the pleasantness of the bride. This is the hardest part for me and for us to understand but notice what he says in verse 11. So the king will greatly desire your beauty. Now, I know that's hard to understand because we look at ourselves and we say like in the Song of Solomon, I'm dark, I'm comely. There's nothing that would cause him to desire me as one of his own. And yet he has set his love upon us. As hard as it is to comprehend, even as much as we want to reject it and say, no, that can't be true, his word has declared that he has 
set us apart for himself, and he loves us with an everlasting love. One contemporary songwriter says, he can't love us more, and he won't love us less. A contemporary writer, Max Lucado, said, now, you'll have to excuse this if this is a little bit too normalized, but he said, listen, the Lord loves you so much, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. I mean, that is hard to imagine, isn't it? But did you know that you fill his thoughts, his heart? You are the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, how would you describe that in normal contemporary conversation? I mean, he loves us that much. And we see how even the apostle, if you'll take a moment from Psalm 45, we'll be right back there, but turn over to the book of Ephesians and see how it's expressed by the Apostle Paul, who was given the grand revelation of what the bride represents as the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, you'll notice it in verses 25 through 27, just what he says about the church. Now, he's giving practical instructions for husbands and wives, but listen, that's the small picture. The big picture is what we're going to read here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives. Now, that's good practical advice, isn't it? And all the husbands said? Okay. All right. But look what the standard is. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Let me go on in verse 27 that he might present it or her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Wow, what a beautiful bride you are. Well, the ladies smile, but the men are thinking, who is he talking to? But this is addressed to you part of the body of Christ, the church of the living God. And so we see the pleasantness that he desires in us. Let me just remind you, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, after Paul makes this beautiful comparison of husbands and wives in their relationship in marriage, do you remember what he says? The mystery is great, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so we realize marriage is just a, like a small picture of the beautiful big picture of Christ's love for the church and the church's submission to Christ, our heavenly bridegroom. So we see the pleasantness of the bride. Go back to Psalm 45 again in verse 11, the second part of verse 11, and this is what we read. It has to do with her piety, the devotion we should have to the Lord. Again, verse 11 says, so the king will greatly desire your beauty, that's the pleasantness of the bride, because he is your Lord, worship him. Now that's the piety that the bride has for the bridegroom. He's the Lord. He's the one that deserves all the honor and glory that's due unto his name. You know, in a wedding, we usually start out during the ceremony after we make a welcome to everyone and the father gives away the bride. You know, there's always special souvenirs that happen at wedding ceremonies, aren't there? I say they're free souvenirs. Like I remember 
uh, one wedding when I asked, who giveth this woman to be married to this man? And the father of the bride said, my mother and I do. <laughs> you know, there's always something that happens there. But after you get through the very introduction of the ceremony, there's something called the declaration of consent. And that's where you say to the young man and the young woman, will you have this man to be your husband? Will you honor and keep him, cherish and obey him, and be faithful to him as long as you both shall live? And I always give a little prompt. If so, answer, I will. And that's where the bride has the opportunity to make her declaration of consent. I will. And then the young man gets to do the same thing. You know, it's, you know how it goes. But let me just ask you, in verse 11, when it says, because he is your Lord, worship him, could we, just since it's you and me only here, have a declaration of consent from our hearts to remind ourselves that our hearts are wholeheartedly devoted to him? Think of it this way. If I were to say, will you have this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be your heavenly bridegroom, will you honor him and love him and be faithful to him as long as you both shall live? Now that's forever, isn't it? And if I gave you that prompt right now, if so, answer, I will. Aren't we ready to say it? Now if you don't say it out loud, that's okay. You can whisper it <laughs> in your heart just to the Lord. He is your Lord, worship him. He rightly deserves everything that we offer to him. The honor, the glory, the love. If so, answer, I will. In verse 12, I would like you to see the guests that are there. That's the hard part of planning any wedding ceremony, isn't it? How much food can we afford and how many guests should we have? And that's quite a variable in weddings, but I want you to know the guests that come to this wedding, well, in Psalm 45, verse 12, the guest list is extensive and many people come. In fact, it tells us of the guest in verse 12 that the daughter of Tyre will be there with the gift. Now, Tyre, one of the wealthy nations in that area, recognized the importance of David and Solomon and of the kingdom there, and they would not miss this special occasion. But you and I are looking in a bigger picture of Christ to the church. The daughter of Tyre will be there with a gift, and the rich among the people will seek your favor. Now, isn't that a turning of the tables, huh? Now they want to know, who are these Christians? But when, we see, when the world sees the church joined to the Savior as the heavenly bridegroom, won't they be amazed? And they'll come, even as we see in the scriptures, to the Jewish people and they'll say, take us with you. Let us go with you to worship. And we'll see even the very ones of this world will look with envy to see what God has prepared for the church as the bride of Christ. Your guest list will be extensive. The daughter of Tyre will be there with a gift, and the rich among the people will seek your favor. Now it's time for the processional. 
That's when everybody's in place and the music changes and the, profession, uh, the processional begins. And we see in verse 13 the appearance of the bride. This is what we all wait to see at every wedding ceremony. And we see in verse 13, the royal daughter is all glorious within. Now, literally, the words the palace being italicized, we don't want to just jump to conclusion of this has to do with the palace because it's really more about the bride than the place. It says the royal daughter is all glorious within, and that's exactly true, isn't it? That's where the Lord begins his work of perfection. He always starts in the heart. You know, religion tries to start on the outside and change the inside from outside. But God starts on the inside, and he changes the outside from inside. And that's the only way it really works anyway. So you look at the bride, and in the procession, when she makes her appearance at the doorway, and you look at her, and the Lord looks on her heart, and she's all glorious within. Now, the palace is there, too. She's all glorious within the palace. In other words, God has prepared the bride to be with him forever in the palace of the king. You think you might not feel at home there at first? No, he's got you all ready and prepared. Then it says in verse 13, not just her appearance within, but her appearance without. Her clothing is woven with pure gold. And so we see the glory of God upon the church, the bride. What is the Lord going to do with his glory? Well, he prayed in John 17, Father, I will that they would be with me, that they may behold my glory, which I had with you before the world was. And so we see the glory of the Lord Jesus is going to be shared with the sons of glory, with the bride. So we're all glorious within by the finished work of Christ, and he is working even outside to have a glorious appearing. The clothing is woven of gold. Look also, if you will, in verse 14, and we see the entrance of the bride as well as her appearance. In verse 14, it says, She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. Oh, now that's a shocker, isn't it? That's a surprise. We thought she would be in pure white, but she comes in robes of many colors. The pure white is more of our Western plan and idea of wedding ceremonies. But there's something about the robes of many colors. No doubt right now you're thinking about Joseph, who had a coat of many colors. What did it represent? Well, it represented that he had the rights to the family firstborn because he was a favorite of his father Jacob. The king's daughters in David's time, you remember King David's virgin daughters, they were dressed in robes of many colors. What does it represent? except the beauties of the Lord that have been given to us to be expressed even in the things that we do and say. So the queen-to-be, the bride, is brought to the Lord in robes of many colors. Also, it says in verse 14, the virgins, her companions who follow her, part of her attendance, shall be brought to you. And we wonder how many people will be brought to the Lord through the testimony of the believers that make up the church. We hope many. Look at something else. 
In verse 15, and I'd like you to just make a mental note, keep it in mind, this couplet or combination of gladness and rejoicing. How are they going to be brought? Well, it's a joyous occasion, and it says in verse 15, with gladness and rejoicing, they shall be brought. Gladness and rejoicing. It's a great occasion. I was just thinking as, as Brian was speaking earlier about funerals, boy, we've got quite a combination here today, don't we, huh? Brian doing funerals and me doing weddings. This is going to be a memorable conference, I have no doubt. Uh, I, I wonder what's going to come out of this place. So here we are, and we see gladness and joy. It, there is a time to rejoice, isn't there? And so keep that couplet together in your mind. Gladness and rejoicing, we'll see it again in just a little while. But where do they go in? Verse 15, they shall enter the king's palace. I can't help but think of Psalm 23. We heard it early this morning, didn't we? Just six verses. And even though we might not remember all of the verses, I know we remember the first, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But can I remind you of the last verse? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now I've had a privilege of visiting people in the hospital and in certain homes, especially people that have been struggling with uh, dementia or Alzheimer's and to where things that are current are just hard to remember. And whenever I've made a visit, I've always made it a practice to read Psalm 23 to them because it's the best known psalm. As our brother mentioned, he heard that in the eighth grade, was it, public school? I learned it in the first grade in public school, and that's where I memorized Psalm 23 and Psalm 100 from a public school teacher. And so, as you mentioned, things have really changed today. But most of my generation and before knew Psalm 23. So whenever I've been asked to visit someone with Alzheimer's or dementia, I always read Psalm 23. I want you to know, every time I've read it, the person that I'm visiting usually quotes either the whole psalm with me or some of the psalm. They recognize it. And one time... A lady that I was visiting in Charlotte, she didn't say a word the whole time I read it. And I got to the very last line of Psalm 23, verse 6, and I said, and I will dwell in the house, and I was slowing down, hoping that she would at least have a response, of the Lord, and I paused, and she said, forever. Hmm? Think of it. When he says, they shall enter the king's palace. Everyone who knows the Lord making up the church, he has a place prepared for us and he has prepared us for the place and one day it's really going to take place and happen that the doors are going to swing wide open and we'll see our bridegroom. He'll call us, we'll go to meet him in the air and he'll take us back to the Father's house and there we shall ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There's nothing like it. He loves the church so much, he'll never give us up, and he has a place prepared just for us. Well, we come to the end of the ceremony, and in verse 16, we see a blessing pronounced. And the blessing really takes our attention back away from the bride to the bridegroom. And you'll notice in verse 16... Instead of your fathers shall be your sons. He's speaking here 
of the blessing of his eternality. The Lord Jesus is the one who came, whose goings are from of old, even from everlasting. And so when he says to the Lord, instead of your father shall be your sons, how does that all work out? Well, that was the question in the Gospel of John chapter 8, wasn't it? When the Lord Jesus said, before Abraham was, you know, that's Father Abraham. How long ago was that? Thousands of years. Before Abraham was, I am. Have you seen Abraham, they said? I mean, really, he had him going, didn't he? Have you seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Before Abraham was, I am. So he says, instead of your fathers, those who were born before shall be your sons, because he's the eternal son of God, his eternality. But in this blessing, you also see his excellency, whom you shall make princes in all the earth. Now, who can make a prince but a king? <laughs> this is the one that we bow before his excellency and we say, in his majesty, he's the one that receives the blessing and he's so gracious, he just shares that blessing with us all. The very last part of the wedding ceremony is the recessional. It has nothing to do with economy. But I'm going to just pull a little bit of time here with you and I want to hold the recessional because I'm afraid if I give the recessional, you get up and leave. Don't miss, don't miss the book table, right? Before we go to the recessional, I'd like to step one step further. We'll come back here in a moment and have you turn to the last book of your Bible, the book of Revelation, and see something of the anticipation. As I mentioned in our first look in Psalm 45, a correlated story of the young man that was in the wedding that I performed, and he said, when it was time to go out for the ceremony, he said, Mr. Trogdon, is this a rehearsal or is this the real thing? I want you to know that there's some anticipation here, because we've been looking at a wedding and all of the different components of the wedding, and it's exciting. And the most exciting part is when we see the recessional takes, takes place and the bride and the bridegroom walk out. But I don't want to get to that point yet. There's an anticipation that we should all have as the bride. We should be on tiptoe expectancy that our bridegroom is coming. And as the bride, in our anticipation, would you notice please with me, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 10, this is the real thing. Now, do you remember that combination I told you not to forget? <laughs> With gladness and rejoicing? Hang on to it here because here's what we read that makes our connection. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Think of the excitement. Let us be glad and rejoice. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? They shall be brought to you with gladness and rejoicing. So the excitement of it all, there's, 
This should thrill our hearts as believers. The very best is still ahead. The best is yet to come. What will it be when we see him? The expression in verse 7 is, and give him glory. And then we see the expectation. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Your part and mine follows that statement in verse 7. And his wife, that's the church, has made herself ready. Well, how has she made herself ready? This preparation of the bride is taking place right now. And in the reality of what's going to happen at any moment, this is what the bride is to be doing. Verse 8 says, And it, to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Aren't you glad when the Bible provides the commentary for what it tells us? You know, sometimes you're reading a portion like this and you run for a commentary. Don't stop reading. Many times the Bible explains exactly what it means in this beautiful picture of the bride. She's made herself ready in fine linen. Whatever could the fine linen be? Well, he explains to us, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Everything you are doing for him right now, works of righteousness that bring glory to him, is adding to your wedding garment, the wedding dress. And as the bride prepares herself, let me just ask you, how's your wedding dress coming? Are you adding to it? Are, are you just saved so as by fire? No, we want to be serving him in anticipation of his coming. Just as the bride awaits the call of the bridegroom, she's preparing everything to go and meet him. Every act of kindness that you perform for his glory will be adding to that bridal dress. And won't he be amazed when he sees you clean and bright, the righteous acts of the saints. Not only that, but you'll notice the invitation that's there in verse 9. This wedding of Revelation lines up perfectly with our royal wedding in Psalm 45. For in verse 9 it says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. That's nice to get an invitation like that. huh? I heard of a man who got a wedding invitation and he put it on the table and he told his wife, he said, they're always wanting something. She said, whatever do you mean? He said, look at that invitation down at the bottom. Your presence is requested. <laughs> well, your presence is requested. It's an invitation not to bring something, but to be there. And all the gift that is needed is to receive what he's done for us. And then you'll notice in verse 10, the exaltation of our Savior. Again, as I mentioned, when you come to the end of Psalm 45, the eyes come off of the bride and go back on the bridegroom. Notice Revelation 19.10. John is writing this and he says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. Now he was getting this information from an angel. And when he fell at the angel's feet, do you see what happened? But he said to me, See that you do not do that. Obviously, that's not the Lord. The Lord receives worship. This angel, he knew better. And here's what he told John 
And this is what he tells us. I am your fellow servant of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, it's not about the bride. It's all about the bridegroom. And we come back to this recessional and we say, when it comes to the marriage of the lamb to the church, the bride, he loves us so much, but our hearts are not taken up with ourself any longer. He must increase, I must decrease, but everything about the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus that he gets all the glory. And this is the beauty of the wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb that has come. So we go back to Psalm 45 to finish it out together. Here's the recessional. In the recessional, verse 17 of Psalm 45, we see, first of all, remembrance. I always tell couples before they're married, make sure you get a good photographer. I said, because all the events of the wedding day are going to be a blur. And if you don't have a picture, you won't remember a thing. That's what the photos albums are for, to look back and remember. And in verse 17, he says, I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. What a remembrance. Do you know we're still remembering his name today? That's why we have this constant remembrance feast. Did you know that this morning might have been the last time we remember him in the breaking of bread? I hope it is. We'll set aside the symbols, and we'll see him face to face. He's remembered now in all generations, and not only do we see remembrance, we see praise in verse 17. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. What anticipation it gives us just to realize at any moment, the one who is coming will indeed come. He will not tarry, and he's coming back to call his bride out of this world. My good friend says, every Christian should join Weight Watchers. Not the diet, waiting and watching for the Lord to come. He's going to come, even when we don't expect it. We wanna be living in great expectation and anticipation. I'd like us to close with the beautiful hymn, just the one verse, we'll sing it a cappella. Emmanuel's land. The words are up on the screen that we need. I'm going to close with a word of prayer, and then we can sing just that closing verse of that beautiful hymn. But let me just ask you, if you don't belong to the Lord, why not? This would be the day. Don't wait for the wedding day. This is the day to respond to his loving invitation. He makes it very clear. Whosoever will may come. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And he's ready to receive anyone who will put their trust in him. Let's close with a word of prayer, and then we'll sing this, chorus to, or this verse together. Father, once again, we thank and praise you for the good time we've had at the conference this year. We thank you for those who have put such efforts and planning into making it very special for us. Not only that, but also those who have worked hard to make us comfortable and to feed us so well that we can enjoy extra times of fellowship together around the tables for lunch and for refreshments this day. We ask, Lord, that you will bless this assembly 
in a wonderful way. Continue to help them to let their light shine brighter and brighter till the Lord Jesus comes, we pray. And we give you our thanks for the blessed hope that awaits us, even the appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we marvel that you would make us your bride. We feel like we have nothing that would have ever attracted you, and we know that's true. And yet you have set your love upon us, and one day you're coming back for us. We say like John said, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. Help us to be preparing our lives and our hearts so that when we hear you and turn and see your face, we'll have great cause with gladness and rejoicing fly to meet you in the air. We give you our thanks for this and for the special times we've had in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The bride eyes not her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand, the 